Our scripture text this morning is uh, Romans chapter 5 on this uh, Lord's Supper Sunday. Chosen a, a passage from Romans 5, of helping us to focus on the Lord and on his atoning death on the cross. And uh, this morning I would direct your attention specifically to verse 19, but I'd like to begin reading at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And especially want to focus this morning, um, we'll eventually get to uh, talking specifically about those words, the one man's, uh, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Imagine for a moment that your life's dream, your great desire is to be a Marine, and for many of you, you might have to really use your imagination for that. But um, Imagine that nothing thrills you more than being a part of that elite group of soldiers. And yet there is a major hurdle, a major roadblock that stands in the way of your dream, which is that you have a criminal record. And with that record, they're not even going to let you begin training. And so in order for you to become a Marine, two things must happen. First, you need to somehow get rid of your criminal record, and then you need to receive the appropriate training. And you understand both things must happen in order for you to become a Marine. You can't just get rid of your criminal record and then expect to be declared a Marine. If you were to get rid of that criminal record, all you would be is a citizen without a criminal record, not a Marine uh, qualified uh, uh, to, to go out into the field. In order to be a full-fledged Marine, you must also receive all of the necessary training. So let's suppose that the President of the United States, for whatever reason, decides to grant you a pardon and to expunge your record of any wrongdoing. And uh, with that bad record out of the way, you are eventually admitted into the Marine Corps boot camp and soon receive the training to become the Marine that you wanted to become. Well, that's something of an analogy to what Jesus has done for us in saving us. What I'm getting at is that there is a twofold aspect to Jesus' saving work on our behalf. We might say a, a negative aspect and a, a positive aspect in the sense that he takes away something 
and then gives us something that we otherwise wouldn't have. So through faith in the Lord Jesus, he takes our sin away, like the pardoning of that criminal record, and in its place, he gives us something that we could only dream about. He imputes his righteousness to us. Usually when we talk about Jesus' saving work, most of the emphasis is on the work of Jesus paying the penalty of our sin. And it is certainly a wonderful thing that what what Jesus did to satisfy God's wrath against our sin. We like to think and talk about the good news of how Jesus took our sins upon himself as our representative or as our substitute, and there on the cross suffered all that our sins deserve. When we think about the cross of Christ, the usual thing that comes to mind is the suffering of our Savior as he bore our sins. There upon the cross, and especially within that short period of the three hours of darkness, Jesus bore an infinite amount of wrath. And he bore it all till he was able to declare from the cross, it is finished. Those words were a declaration that all of the punishment that our sins deserve had been taken by him and had been borne by him so that there was no punishment left to be suffered, no more punishment left to be endured, no, nothing left to be borne. That, that, that suffering that Jesus endured, you understand, has everything to do with our justification. And I didn't read earlier from verse 1 of this uh, uh, here in Romans chapter 5, but justification is a, a very important concept Notice verse 1 of of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That verse reminds us that as sinners, by nature, we are worthy of God's wrath and, and headed to hell. And our greatest need, then, is to be at peace with God. And what God tells us in his word is that we can have peace with him. And uh, that is an amazing thing. We can think of it, be out from under his wrath, no longer his enemy, actually in a relationship of friendship and fellowship with him. To be at peace with God is to be saved from our sins. It's, it's another way uh, of speaking of eternal life. So how do we come to have peace with God? Well, we have to be justified. That's how we have peace with God. So then that brings us to to ask the question, well, what exactly is this justification? This justification that enables us to be at peace with God. Well, according to our shorter catechism, justification, quote, is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins. When we or any sinner pray to God, to Christ in faith, With repentant hearts, seeking his forgiveness, God applies Jesus' atoning death to our debt of sin. On the basis of Jesus' suffering in our place, received by faith, God declares us to be not guilty. He declares us to be innocent of all sin. That's justification. The pardoning of our sins. Our sin record is expunged. Scripture speaks of our sin through the Lord Jesus Christ, as being blotted out, um, as covered, as washed away, as taken away from us as far as the east is from the west. And the result is that we stand before God in his court of justice, 
as though we had never sinned. But that's only the first part of justification. The first part has to do with our sinful record being canceled, but then there is a second aspect, second part to justification. It's just as important to our salvation. To quote again from the shorter catechism, it defines justification, first of all, as an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all of our sins, and then we come to the next part, and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Justification is having Christ's righteousness. It's having his perfect record put to your account. So perhaps now you can see better why I've used the, the illustration of the man wanting to become a Marine. At one time, you, like that Marine, had a bad record. As natural-born sinners, we have no righteousness that commends us to God. And we can't even begin to have a proper relationship with God as long as we have a sinful record. But through faith in Christ, that record of sin is destroyed. Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14 says, And you being dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is also what is in mind when Romans 5 verse 9 says that we have been justified by his blood. His blood shed on the cross has canceled out the debt of your sin, believing child of God. But that is only the removal of your guilt. That's only the first part of your justification. At the same time, canceling our sin debt is not the same thing as giving us righteousness. Having that criminal record expunged by the president doesn't make you automatically a trained, qualified Marine. To use two other illustrations, if a teacher decides to remove an F from the record book of your grades, that doesn't give you an A. If the bank were to forgive a $5,000 debt, that's not the same thing as the bank giving you $5,000. Having a debt canceled, especially a debt of sin, is a wonderful thing, and it's absolutely vital to your justification and salvation. Yet there's more that is needed to have a relationship with God, a holy God. You and I need the second part of justification of God giving us the righteousness of Christ. What we need is what the apostle describes there in Philippians 3, 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. To be justified, to be declared righteous in God's sight, we need to have our sins forgiven and to be given a righteousness that we do not naturally have. And the appropriate question to ask is, well, how can I become righteous when I'm not righteous? How can I get a righteousness that is not my own? Which brings us to the main text that I want to have us consider this morning, where it says there in Romans 5.19, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. How can we be made righteous through the obedience of the one man, Jesus? Well, our shorter catechism rightly explains that this verse is talking about the righteousness of Christ being imputed to those who receive it by faith alone. 
It's important to understand what is meant when we speak of Christ's righteousness being imputed to the account of the believer, to your account. Imputation is a very important concept that we need to understand in order to understand justification. And imputation means to to reckon to someone's account or to regard as belonging to someone's account what originally belonged to another. And the Bible actually teaches a threefold imputation. The Bible teaches that Adam's sin was imputed to the whole human race, which means that God now reckons or regards me and you and every other human being as guilty for what Adam did. We come into this world with Adam's record imputed to us. Adam's sin and guilt is put to our accounts. That's what's being taught in the first part of Romans 5.19. For it says this, For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. There's a second instance of imputation when the sins of all of the elect were put to Jesus' account. This is what's being taught in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when it says, For our sake God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus, though innocent of sin, in and of himself was reckoned as guilty and was punished by God on the cross because our sins were put to his account. They were imputed to him. And then the third instance of imputation in the Bible is when Christ's righteousness is imputed to the believing sinner. Through faith, Christ's perfect record is put to your account, and you are reckoned, you are regarded as righteous. And that's what's being taught here in the second half of Romans 5.19. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So justification requires two of these instances of imputation our sins being imputed to Christ so that he can die for our sin and take away the guilt of our sins, and then Christ's righteousness being imputed to us so that we can stand before God and as having perfectly met all of the demands of his law. The first part of our justification is this pardon is based on Jesus' death on the cross, And the second part of God imputing to us Christ's righteousness is grounded in Jesus' perfect obedience. And I want to elaborate for a moment on that perfect obedience. Jesus never sinned. Think of it. He never once thought a sinful thought, never once said a sinful word, never once did anything wrong. He always thought, said, and did exactly as his father wanted. He lived and died to please God. And you understand that's the righteousness that God requires of those who would dwell with him in heaven. Righteousness means perfect conformity to God's will. It means standing before God's law as a perfect law keeper. And this standard of righteousness is one that not one of us has lived up to. In contrast to us, there's Jesus who was and always remained perfectly righteous. And what does his perfect obedience to God's law have to do with us? Well, Romans 5.19 refers to Jesus' obedience as the basis of our being made righteous. Paul writes, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. 
Without Jesus' obedience in our place, there would be no basis on which we could be made righteous. The good news that God proclaims in his word is that when you and I and any sinner put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness, that is, Christ's righteousness, is reckoned to be our own. And we are in God's sight counted, reckoned, regarded as righteous. God looks at you and me who trust in Christ. He not only does not see our sins, which have been covered by Jesus' blood, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And on that basis declares us to be righteous. Now this is not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ reckoned to be our own. And what I want to bring to your attention is that the the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross really they're the basis for both aspects of justification. I think we readily recognize that there on the cross Jesus was earning the pardoning of our sin as he was wounded for our transgressions, as he was crushed for our iniquities. At the same time, Jesus was earning righteousness for us because his suffering and death on the cross was actually the climax of his obedience. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane just contemplating the coming cross, and the suffering that he would endure there, he prayed for the Father, if possible, to take that cup from him, at the same time acknowledging that he didn't want his will to be done, but for his Father's will to be done. For Jesus to go to the cross required an unwavering commitment to God's will. To voluntarily subject himself to all of the physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering of the, of the cross required Jesus to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the essence of the requirement of the law and of all true obedience. To set aside one's own interests in order to glorify the Father is what obedience is all about. And, and Jesus did that at a level beyond that of any other human being. It's not always easy to obey God. We've all suffered to some degree in obedience to Christ. Some Christians have even died as martyrs, being faithful even unto death. No one has suffered like Jesus did his entire life, but especially on the cross. For Jesus to die, the cursed death of the cross was the ultimate act of obedience. Philippians 2 verse 8 praises the obedience of our Savior by saying that he was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so it is that by one man's obedience, many are made righteous. Christ's obedience. For you, child of God, who, have, who, who has put your faith and trust in him, his obedience is your obedience. The way of repentance and faith in him, his death, his obedience are put to your account. Because of his death, you are forgiven of your sins. Because of his obedience unto death, you stand before God clothed in Christ's righteousness. Christ has achieved through his suffering and death and obedience to the Father should be honored by us. He, Christ deserves to be praised for doing all that was needed for our justification As we come to the Lord's table this morning, may our hearts be filled with admiration for our Savior. May we treasure him, believing that by the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood on the cross, he has taken away, once and for all, our record of sin and rebellion, but also in its place has put his own perfect record. 
Let us cast aside any and every notion of trust in anything but the perfect life and atoning death of Jesus Christ. He is our only hope of salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we praise you, we thank you for the giving of your Son, our Savior, one who was lifted up upon the cross, who suffered and died in order that we might be saved, who gave his life to satisfy your justice and to earn the forgiveness of our sins, who lived a perfect life and in an amazing act of obedience gave himself to the suffering and death of the cross in order to earn our righteousness, a righteousness that we could never have on our own. And Father, we ask that you would grant us the faith to look to him alone as having fully satisfied all the demands of your law. May we never trust in anyone or anything but the one that you sent, the one that you gave to save us from our sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.